Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Walk Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Hey there, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, June 6th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to break down Andrew Abbott's debut. Pretty good one. Two Phillies had huge games. Alec Manoa face-planted once again. And did you know, I've got some random hitter facts on a smaller Monday slate, so... Came up with an extra segment here. Uh, we'll get into much more, of course, your Team Name Tuesday as well. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let's jump in. Oh, my good goodness gracious. There she goes. Our girl, Susan. Scotty, you're up. Oh, my goodness gracious, player of the night. Well, I'm going to go with Andrew Abbott who threw six shutout innings in his major league debut. Six one-hit innings in his major league debut. Uh, walked four, which isn't great, but struck out six. And, uh, you know, all in all, it's a pretty successful de- debut, I'd have to say. How many pitchers allow? How many pitchers throw one six-hit innings in their debut? It's, it's, it can't be that many. But in a way, this debut was kind of a microcosm for all of Andrew Abbott because I'm of two minds with it. Like on the one hand, yes, you could point to what makes it a very impressive debut. It's it's rather obvious. On the other hand, he was facing a Brewers team that is a Brewers offense. That's the worst against left-handed pitchers in terms of OPS and by far the worst in terms of strikeout rate. They're striking out almost 30% of the time against left-handed pitchers. And uh, he had less than a 10% swinging strike rate against them. 10 whiffs on 105 pitches, including seven on 61% fastballs. Now, we talked yesterday about how uh, he, he, you know, he's, he's sort of like a left-handed Joe Ryan in that he doesn't have a lot of velocity on the fastball, but it's been a very, very good swing and pitch swing and miss pitch for him in the minors because of vertical approach angle and hitter swinging under. And, you know, just there, there's just a deceptive quality to it that makes it effective in the minors. So he threw it 61% of the time, got most of his whiffs on it. But that's still a 21% whiff rate that he had on the fastball, which is kind of kind of uninspiring, especially given, again, he was facing a Brewers lineup that is by far the most strikeout strike prone against left-handed pitchers. Uh, I'll also point out he only had one swinging strike on, his, on a breaking ball 
and and the breaking ball um, is supposed to be pretty good too. It's supposed to help round out his arsenal, have given more than just this fastball to work with. So the positives are pretty obvious. And yet I, I'm still a little underwhelmed, especially given that this is a guy who had, again, 15 strikeouts per nine in, in the minors this year. And just watching him, and I felt this way, you know, watching some of his minor league video too, is uh, like watching him is kind of underwhelming too. It's not just that the, the fastball is, you know, it's not a high-powered fastball with a lot of velocity, but it doesn't seem to have any like, just to the naked eye, it doesn't. No, there's nothing that seems special about it. it. Doesn't have like an extra zip to it. Um, this rising effect that it supposedly have isn't isn't that apparent in the way it is for like a Spencer Strider, who does throw very hard. But you know, you you can you can see more to his fastball than just the pure velocity in Strider's case. And you don't really, I don't really see that when I watch Abbott. I mean, I don't have necessarily a trained eye for these sort of things, but I watching him to me is a bit underwhelming. So I, I still don't know how it's going to go. As, as I pointed out yesterday, he was very home prone, home run prone in the minors, especially after getting to AAA. And we didn't bring this up on yesterday's show. So Andrew Abbott, 15 K per nine on the whole in the minors this year, as I pointed out, it was closer to 12 per nine at AAA. And that's also where the home run rates biked. And specifically, the three starts he made at AA before the promotion to AAA were just flat-out ridiculous. Uh, AA for him is in the Southern League, and the Southern League is experimenting with pre-tacked baseballs this year. So he had more grip on those baseballs at AA where he put up the most ridiculous numbers than he had at AAA, than he's going to have in the majors. So that kind of changes the perspective of everything, too. It introduces a new variable that we don't really know how to account for. So I know that's kind of, that analysis is kind of all over the place with Andrew Abbott, but that's kind of where I am with him. Like, obviously, the way that, that this debut went, you pick him up if he's still available, you see what happens next. But I remain a bit skeptical about him. Mm-hmm. I think that's my overall takeaway as well. I, I watched this entire first start of his. Obviously, it's a successful debut. It's only allowed one hit over six shutout innings. You obviously earned the win there in your debut, six strikeouts. So all in all, the surface level numbers, everything there, it was a successful start. And just the way he battled too. the first couple of innings, I think he was at like 50 or 55 pitches through two innings. He was very inefficient early on. You could tell he was kind of anxious and throwing his fastball all over the place. Uh, but then he settled down, and his final four innings of work, he looked much better, much more confident. And while he only got one whiff on the curveball, he had eight called strikes with that pitch. And uh, he was able to just kind of lay it in there whenever he needed to kind of steal a strike. And I thought that was pretty impressive for Andrew Abbott in this one. Uh, but yeah, you dig a little bit deeper, Scott. I agree with most of what you said. Average 92.9 miles per hour on that fastball, which is supposed to be really good uh, and very clearly his most used pitcher in, in this one. Again, that's Andrew Abbott. He's up to 51% rostered. He was the third most added starting pitcher on CBS. Um, who was ahead of him? Tommy Henry and Braxton Garrett, just because I guess those guys weren't rostered very much uh over the weekend, and people wanted to pick them up for the two starts. So uh, I assume that's why they were the most added pitchers. But there's one name that's right below him, Scott, that I want to ask you about in comparison. A.J. Smith-Shaver, because yesterday we were talking about Mike Soroka and how he has to like reinvent himself and he doesn't look like the pitcher that he once was. 
Lo and behold, on Monday, he gets sent back down to AAA, and there's a report that A.J. Smith-Shaver could start this weekend for the Braves, either Friday or Saturday. And we saw what he did in his debut on Sunday. He threw two and a third, no-hit innings with three strikeouts in a relief appearance. It was, again, uh, his first appearance in the majors. And you referenced the numbers that he had in the minors this year, Scott. We talked about it when he got called up. A 109 ERA, a .94 whip, 45 strikeouts over 33 innings for A.J. Smith-Shaver. Who would you rather have? You saw the debut for both, technically. Uh, would you rather have Smith-Shaver or Andrew Abbott? Well, somebody asked me this earlier Monday when uh, we first learned that Soroka was being sent down and that Smith-Shaver potentially could be replacing him. Oh, do I do I go ahead and drop Abbott now and pick up Smith-Shaver? And my response then was, ask me tomorrow because <laughs> it depended how uh, Andrew Abbott's Major League debut went. And again, I mean... It was a very successful debut, and if 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 you don't have Abbott, you have to pick him up now. And and so I would say you can't drop him for AJ Smith Shaver. Yeah, who has his own issues. I, I mean, he's not a, a flawless prospect himself. He's a more conventional pitching prospect, a real power arm. Uh, his fastball has good uh, uh, characteristics beyond just velocity, but he does have the velocity that Abbott lacks think control is going to be more of an issue for AJ uh, Smith Shaver and just the fact that he's he's uh you know come rocketing up from a ball over a month long period basically uh introduces a, a lot of uncertainty to his profile but an exciting pitcher and the fact that the Braves organization who who I, I would say has a, a pretty good track record with development and identifying talent particularly uh, prospects that the prospect industry as a whole kind of overlooks. You know, I, I think there's reason for optimism with AJ Smith Shaver for sure. And if, if you can afford to roster both him and Abbott, great. But between the two, I would prefer to have Abbott. Okay. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at as well. It's close because the team context obviously is much better uh, with with uh, AJ Smith Shaver and the Atlanta Braves. But kind of when he, I want to see what he does this weekend. If you have the ability to roster both, I do agree with you, Scott. Uh, go out and add both of those names. Oh my goodness gracious, for me, the Phillies. All of them. Well, specifically two of them that I want to highlight here. Aaron Nola and Trey Turner. We uh, needed to see something. You know, Aaron Nola kind of off to a slow start this year. Trey Turner definitely off to a slow start. Let's start with Aaron Nola, who was masterful. He took a no-hitter into the seventh inning in this one, Scott. seven. Uh, the final line, seven innings, one hit, three unearned runs. He did give up... Uh, a three-run homer in an inning that got extended because of an error, so that's why they were all unearned runs. 12 strikeouts to three walks, 21 swinging strikes on 108 pitches for Arandola. He had 19 swinging strikes two starts ago against the Atlanta Braves, so it's nice to see those whiffs are uh, finally starting to come around here. And the really positive sign, the fastball velocity, up 1.5 miles per hour in this start, which uh, is... Closer to where it was last year, it actually was his average fastball velocity was 93.4. It was 92.8 last year, and it's it's been down a little bit this season. So uh, that was an encouraging sign for Arenola. He did something to his pitch mix, too. He ditched the cutter, which you know, he usually uses it around 10 to 15% of the time. It really hasn't been a good pitch for him. Uh, 306 batting average against. He went very four-seam and curveball heavy in the start, and obviously it worked for Arenola. Uh, Scott... Your thoughts on this start? And uh, look, we needed to see it, right? I mean, this was like a 
top 10 starting pitcher that was drafted, and he really was not pitching like that for most of the season. Yeah, and it was it was it went just beyond the ERA, which he's had problems with before, uh, being too home run prone and the ERA spiking because of that. It was reflected in some of the underlying numbers too, specifically strikeouts, swinging strike rate, the real, the 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 ones that uh, are probably the clearest indicators of pure stuff. And so I think it was reasonable to ask, given that we've asked the same thing with Dylan Cease and Shane Bieber, if if Aaron Nola had lost something, if he if he was uh, in decline, and I remained pretty confident in him, uh, just because we've seen him overcome similar stretches throughout his career, and he's just kind of been a difficult pitcher to pin down in that way. And he's not dumb, and, he, and he's never he hasn't been dominant in the most conventional sense anyway, because he's not a particularly hard thrower himself. He he tends to to succeed with. Um, impeccable control and and that sort of thing but now but now it's three of his last four starts where Aaron Nola has looked like a big bat misser again three of his last four so he's clearly trending the right direction I think he's turned the corner and I would trust him I never lost trust in him as an ace but I would be even more confident in him as an ace going forward again that is Aaron Nola and of course we know the story about Trey Turner entered this game Batting 236, I think it was, or 232, whatever it was, it was much lower than we expected to be here on uh, June 6th. But a monster game for Trey Turner. He went four for five with a double dong, three runs, three RBI. He had five hard hit balls in this game, three of those over 105 mile per hour exit velocity. And hopefully, Scott, this is a game that can catapult Trey Turner. We all know what he's capable of. He's like 29 years old, 30 years old. So I don't think he's just kind of hit a wall or he's too old to be really good. I think he just kind of needed something to, to regain that confidence. And hopefully this game was it. So I took him eighth in the uh, redraft of the first two rounds that I did last week. I took him eighth overall, Trey Turner. Where did he go in the redraft you did with the Welsh and Scott Bogman on their podcast? I think it was in a very similar range. It was between six and eight, somewhere in there. Okay. That you got you guys showed the same faith in him that I did. Yep. And uh, again, look this this whole kind of Phillies lineup has has been a letdown. Well, Nick Castellanos, Bryce Harper got back recently, but like JT Real Muto, kind of a letdown. Kyle Schwarber, the batting average is really bad, although the power has been there. So hopefully they could all kind of get things going together here. I know it would help a lot of my fantasy teams and uh, hopefully a lot of other people as well. Scott, I don't know if there's anything else to say about Alec Manoa. I feel like I can read everything that happened today and we're just going to kind of come to the same conclusion is like, yeah, we don't broken. We don't know what to do with Alec Manoa. Yeah. I, I guess he's still 91% rostered. So I, mm. I'll ask you just the same question. The final line, by the way, he recorded just one out. He allowed six earned runs. I think his ERA jumped a whole nother run in this start. And he's now up to a 6.36 ERA, a 1.9 whip. And I thought something that was like kind of telling, I guess, of the season he's had. Did you see this bunt that was against him, Scott? And he was literally trying to blow the ball foul. Like he got down <laughs> on the ground and was trying to blow the ball foul. Like that yeah. is how desperate this guy is to not give up a hit. Like it is, it is rough right now. And who knows? I mean, there's a chance he can 
be back in the minors by tomorrow or later on in the week. When asked about it before the game, Blue Jays manager John Snyder said, uh, quote, we'll see. We haven't brought it up. We're talking about a really good pitcher who's going through a little bit of a tough time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say more than that. Uh, we're willing to do anything that we feel we like we need to do to help him. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess that includes the possibility of Manoa getting sent down. He's still 91% rostered. Uh, are you closer to dropping him now, Scott? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about that before we came on. I don't know why I didn't think to see what his roster rate was, 91%. Because, yeah. you know, I think the turning point for me is going to be, can I safely drop him without anybody else picking him up? And the fact he's still 91% rostered, at least in CBS Sports League, suggests that I can't. You know, the shallower the league, obviously, the more justifiable it is because you only have so much roster space. And, you know, again, the shallower the league, the more players are out there that look interesting that that you'd want to swap Alec Manoa out for. So, you know, if we're talking like a 10-team context, I totally get if you want to drop Alec Manoa at this point. And, uh, you know, otherwise, I'll just say the same thing we've been saying. There's no guarantee he ever figures it out. But if if he does figure it out, it's going to happen very suddenly, I think, all at once, like a light switch flipping back on. And so you can't necessarily guarantee that you'll be able to anticipate it and go out and get him again, which is why uh, if you like the idea of capitalizing on his upside, probably better just to hold on to him but there's obviously no predicting what happens from here Alec Manoa I mentioned 91% roster on CBS still 79% rostered on Yahoo so uh, a little bit lower so far there brought up the possibility again of Manoa getting sent down to the minors I just don't know where else the Blue Jays can go Scott they really Mm -hmm. don't have great pitching depth at AAA right now their top pitching prospect Ricky Tiedemann is currently hurt so he's you know, not ready to contribute anytime soon. Uh, Mitch White, who's on a rehab assignment, recently has been converted into a reliever. He's not going to start for them anymore. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu won't be back until the second half of the season. And, you know, some people brought up Nate Pearson to me, but he's only pitched in relief this year. And it would take some time for him to, you know, get sent down and get stretched out and all that stuff. So I just don't see an obvious replacement here, even if the Blue Jays wanted well, to make a move. It, it, I just don't really see much there for them. One way you can look at it is no matter who they put there, it couldn't po- he couldn't possibly any, be any worse than Alec Manoa has. So they don't if if they think that the best way to uh, help Manoa work on things and potentially get right again is to send him down. I don't think they're going to worry so much about the quality of the pitcher they're replacing him with. So you know, as long as they have another starting pitcher on the forty man roster. Uh, and I'm looking right now, okay, they have Zach Thompson on the 40-man roster. He's made 11 starts at AAA Buffalo, has a 689 ERA. <laughs> so, like, he's not going to be good, but again, it, like, it can't get any worse than what Alec Manoa has been. So, I, I you know, I'd kind of like to see them send him down uh, because it'll take a lot of the pressure off, get, free him up to experiment a little more, and, and, and maybe that'll help get him back on track. I do also wonder if them sending Manoa down would be the impetus for people to drop him widely in fantasy and maybe give you an excuse to drop him as well, which wouldn't be such a bad thing. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of hoping it happens, really. Mm -hmm. 
let's say Alec Manoa is the worst pitcher on your roster. I guess statistically, well, <laughs> how could he not be the worst pitcher on your roster, right? Um, yeah. Would you make the swap for Andrew Abbott or AJ Smith Chauver if you have Manoa? Well, okay, so it depends what you mean by the worst pitcher on your roster because statistically he would be for sure. But it's like, you know, do you have a Kyle Gibson on your roster? If you have somebody fringy on your roster that you could drop instead, I would rather do that than drop Manoa. But, you know, in in, in that shallow league context where you don't, where there's nobody you could justify dropping except maybe Manoa, then I do think it's worth it, at least to get Abbott. I'm not willing to say that for Smith Shaver yet. Okay. Uh, I have a couple other names here. Waiver wire pitchers. Quickly run through some of these. Brian Bayo turned in a quality start up against the Tampa Bay Rays. Six innings, three runs, tw- uh, five strikeouts. He did not have 12 strikeouts. He had 12 swinging strikes on 100 pitches. Um, he's been solid. Uh, uh, his first two starts were rough. His last seven starts since 2.84 ERA, 1.29 whip there for Brian Bayo. Exactly a strikeout per inning during that time. Uh, I'm not quite sure how Julio Tehran is doing what he's doing, but he just turned in another quality start. Six and a third, two runs allowed, five strikeouts at the Cincinnati Reds. Braxton Garrett, not as good on Monday. Five innings, four runs allowed, six strikeouts, but had 17 swinging strikes on 75 pitches, 10 of those coming on the slider. So I, I remain pretty interested. You know, Don't just go out and drop him if you picked him up. Uh, I think I want to hold on Braxton Garrett. And Johan Oviedo. Seven innings, three runs, two of those earned, five strikeouts up against the Oakland A's. Uh, Scott, how would you rank this group? Brian Bayo, Tehran, Braxton Garrett, and Johan Oviedo. I would rank them Brian Bayo. And he's a distant first for me. I, I think he's really the only one of these four that has a chance to find another gear and really take off and become a true fantasy standout. So... Brian Bay is the clear number one. I like you remain intrigued, intrigued, <laughs> intrigued by Braxton Garrett. The biggest issue for him is he rarely makes it even six innings with a bad Marlins lineup backing him. So, um, you know, even if some of the underlying numbers look good, is is he what what is his potential for impact really? Plus, he'd probably be the first one out once some of these Marlins, injured Marlins starting pitchers start making their way back. But Garrett would be number two. And third, third, I guess, would be Oviedo. So Tehran is three for three right now in terms of delivering strong outings, 156 ERA. He has 10 strikeouts in 17 and a third innings. I got zero in the second of the three starts. So uh, I guess we can't be too surprised by that. I mean, he's probably bad, but like he was, he was supposed to be. So, so he was the Braves' opening day starter six six years, six times, and probably for the last three or four of those times, he should have been bad then too, and and managed to he he managed to string together several seasons where he was still a useful fantasy option, even though the underlying numbers screamed, uh, screamed regression. So he might just be. Julio Tehran might just be one of those pitchers who is difficult to get a handle on, but I remain highly skeptical of him nonetheless. Okay. And we're taking Andrew Abbott ahead of all of those names, right? Yeah. Yep. How about AJ Smith Chauver versus Bayo? I feel like that might be closer. It is. 
I'm inclined to say Bayo yep. over Smith Shaver. I mean, maybe Smith Shaver's first start will change my mind, but is and Braves are asking him, asking a lot of him. Guy's been pitching for three years, and as I said earlier, began this year in A ball. So uh, it's the odds are against him, even if he looks like you know prototypical pitching prospect. All right, let's take our first break, and when we return, we'll get into some random hitter fun facts here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, and this Saturday on CBS, one of the most celebrated soccer tournaments in the world is down to two clubs. Manchester City meets Inter in the UEFA Champions League final. Our world-class team will be on the pitch with live coverage beginning Saturday at 1.30 Eastern on CBS. All right, Scott, uh, so this little segment I have drawn up for us, it's just called Did You Know? I've got some random stats, fun facts, and... That'll just lead us down a discussion talking about these players. Uh, frankly, I just wanted a reason to talk about some hitters that we haven't really talked about very much this season. Did you know Vinny Pasquantino is currently ranked outside the top 180 players in Roto this season? Uh, I, well, I didn't know, but it, it doesn't <laughs> surprise me given where his numbers are right now. Well, let's talk about those numbers. He's batting 255 with nine homers, 24 runs, 26 RBI. The plate discipline still looks great. A 10% walk rate, 12% strikeout rate for Pasquantino. Average exit velocity is down a little bit this year. It's down to 89.5 miles per hour. That's not really a standout at that point. Expected numbers still look pretty good, Scott. Uh, buy low or heck no on Vinny P. Do I still have it loaded up? Let me see. Baby. Yeah, Vinny P. Yeah, I'm going to buy low. I, th- I think we're catching him at, at in a cold streak. Hopefully the tail end of a cold streak. As recently as May 10th, he was batting 298. And so it's been a rough few weeks here. Uh, we saw him we saw him streak hot and cold last year as a rookie, even in the minors. He he kind of had a tendency to run hot and cold. So this this may just be kind of the way he is. But in the long run, I expect I still expect a high average and an OPS closer to 900 than 800 with as good as his plate discipline is. So, yeah, I'd buy low. I, I guess the one concern is does his home park 
restrict his power? Like, are the expected stats always going to look better than the actual ones just because of where he plays his home games? That's a possibility. But even so, I I think we're going to be pretty happy with where the numbers end up. I just want to quickly pull up those splits and see if you're on to anything here. Let's see. At home, he is batting 225 with a 700 OPS. Yeah, that's... That is not going to do it. On the road, 290 batting average, 886. So, all right. We need that weather to heat up and balls to start flying out a little bit in Kansas City. But you might be might be right about that, Scott. I uh, just looked at our first base rankings. We both still have Vinny P ranked ahead of Yandy Diaz. Do you think it's about time we make that swap? Uh, I, I, well, I've had a difficult time ranking Yandy Diaz all along. Uh, because obviously we've never seen him contribute this sort of power. Lengthy career, he's in his 30s, mm-hmm. and this is new. So, you know, I, I, I've been expecting the power production to to tail off and have not wanted to get out over out ahead of my skis with him in the rankings. Same. I think but, we're in the same exact spot. But it, it may be time. I don't know. I, I just know the moment there... The moment I decide, okay, I'm going to treat him like the stud he's been so far, that's when he'll cool off. I just know it. <laughs> I, I don't want to tempt fate in that way. You might be right, but, I mean, Yandy Diaz <laughs> just smacking baseballs this season, raising the launch and, angle. Uh, I usually update the rankings on both Tuesday and Wednesday, and I, I think we're about there. I think I'm going to get Yandy Diaz ahead of both uh, Vinny P and Nate Lowe. Next up, did you know Dansby Swanson has the second highest barrel rate among qualified shortstops? 13.9% entering Monday's action, and he's batting mm-hmm. 272 with six homers, four steals, a career-high 12.5% walk rate. He's hitting the ball hard, 90.6 mile-per-hour average exit velocity, uh, and the expected stats look really good, Scott. Swanson is someone I was fading coming into the year, but I like what he's done, uh, you know, the underlying numbers so far, and, you know, if anyone's been underwhelmed by him, i I think I would be looking to buy Dansby Swanson as well. Well, I don't know that I entirely see it that way because if he does have the second highest barrel rate among qualified shortstops, my next question is, well, why aren't his numbers better? Because usually that goes hand in hand with good production, a high barrel rate. I've said before that... uh, you know, oftentimes if a guy has an inordinately high, an uncharacteristically high barrel rate or an uncharacteristically low barrel rate, that might just be an indication of, oh, he's hot right now. Oh, he's not right now. And the fact Dansby Swanson has a career high barrel rate and yet his production has been kind of underwhelming. More likely than not, that barrel rate's going to come closer to his career norm when all said and done. Like, I think I think it's I think from today forward he's more likely to have a worse barrel rate than a better barrel rate than he than than what it is right now. So I don't know. I mean he's fine, but uh, yeah, I'm 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 not expecting a huge turnaround. Well, would you say the same thing about the expected numbers because his slugging percentage is 427. His X slug is 520. He's nearly 100 points lower than what's expected, at least based on how he is. Yeah. Well, that, that's largely tied to barrel rate. Yeah. So I think I think that goes those go hand in hand. But it just feels I, like he's. I see. I see the career high barrel rate as a sign of regression, 
a, a sign of, well, regression, I guess is a confusing term. Uh, he's, uh, I, I see that as a sign that he's overachieved so far. Um, even though you could compare it to the expected stats and say, oh, he's underachieved so far. Yeah. It's not a clean thing, but, you know, obviously, um, obviously players don't always just, players don't always normalize toward their expected stats. Yeah, no, that point is definitely fair. You know, we've seen that countless times where we'll cite expected stats and those things don't always come true, but, you know, for the reasons that we use it, it's an extra data data point to find whether or not a player has been lucky or unlucky. And so far, it feels like Dansby Swanson, uh, his he, he power production, been, he has may been have unlucky. had some bad luck up to this point. Yeah, but I'm saying, I, I'm 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 saying like he's probably not going to barrel balls as consistently as he has so far. So even he if he's not. had bad luck up to this point, it doesn't mean that the luck's going to even out. Yeah, he might not. Uh, again, it's these numbers are more descriptive i guess than predictive like he would have to continue to barrel balls at this rate to see these numbers get better but i think the fact that you know he is making optimal contact is a good thing for him so scott looks at it one way i look at it the other you know i think if you're in need of a shortstop you know swanson overall i think has been a little bit underwhelming i'd be looking to buy on him right now among qualified third baseman did you know rafael devers has the third biggest difference between his actual numbers and his expected numbers so Back to the same conversation we were just having, Scott. Uh, entering Monday, a 241 batting average for Devers, 273 XBA, a 486 slug, 544 expected slug. I think it goes without saying we expect Devers to hit closer to like that 280 mark uh, than where he's been at so far this season. And I don't even know how realistic it is for you to buy low on Devers, but I guess the point here is if you have him on your team, you should feel better that the batting average is going to improve moving forward. Yeah, I, I feel that way about a lot of studs uh, who, okay, their, their numbers happen to be at an underwhelming point right now, but earlier in the season, they were getting along great. There was no, there, there were a few hitters hotter than Rafael Devers the first two weeks of the season. And a, a lot of the metrics still look great for him. So I, I think here in early June, if you're if you're looking at uh, one of your stud players, ah, he's only hitting 240. What's going on? Unless he's just been in the doldrums all season long, which isn't the case for Devers, isn't the case for Pasquantino. I think the answer, my answer, is probably going to be he's due for a hot streak. That's you know there there are peaks and valleys throughout the baseball season, and uh, production isn't linear, and uh, you can expect Devers to get hot sooner than later. Let's move over to a few points league players here. Did you know Masataka Yoshida is averaging 3.7 fantasy points per game? That is more than Juan Soto and Mike Trout. Not combined, but obviously separately. Yoshida has performed like an elite level outfielder in points leagues this season, batting 312 with seven homers, three steals, the same number of walks to strikeouts, 23 walks to 23 strikeouts just a 10% strikeout rate, and he's held his own against lefties as well. 281 batting average, 792 OPS. Um, I don't think that you can buy high on Yoshida in a points league. I think whoever has him probably realizes he is a special player in that format, but Mm -hmm. this is just more of, again, pointing out that, yes, he is an elite-level head-to-head points league player. Yeah, and my rankings have reflected that for several weeks now. 
it's been harder to rank him for uh, for um, rotisserie leagues because obviously he doesn't get he doesn't get extra credit for the plate discipline in that format the way he does in points leagues. And meanwhile, his home run pace is modest and his steals pace is pretty low. And so, you know, how much work does the batting average, the the run production, how much does it do for him? So I'm pulling it up now. In Roto Leagues, he is 18th. It's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good, yeah. That's higher than I have him ranked. Um, so, yeah, I mean, still pretty high end in that format as well. Mm-hmm. So we both have Yoshida ranked 18th in head-to-head points league among outfielders, and then you have him at 28 in Roto. I have him at 27, so we're in a, a similar spot. But maybe it's time to, I guess, move him up in both formats the way that well, Yoshida maybe. has played. I mean, obviously, some players who happen to have performed worse so far, I'd still take over him. So I, I don't know that I have to move him up to 18th just because he's been 18th so far. But the point is, like the production's translating in that format too. Yep. Entering Monday, did you know both Tyler Stevenson and Alejandro Kirk were averaging less than two fantasy points per game? And then on Monday, they both went out and they hit solo home runs. It was the third of the season for Stevenson, the, also the third home run for Alejandro Kirk. Uh, Stevenson batting 238 with a 671 OPS. His strikeout rate is up this year. Uh, you know, you compare his quality of contact, basically the same as last year. It's just, it's never really been good. He just took yeah. advantage of playing. Like he was destroying the ball at home last year, Tyler Stevenson. And that hasn't been the case this year. Uh, and then with Alejandro Kirk, it's kind of the opposite. His quality of contact has taken a huge step back. His average exit velocity is down nearly five miles per hour compared to last season. So uh, mm-hmm. it's been a huge problem for both here, Scott. You know, we mm-hmm. get questions about, can I finally drop these guys? You know, and the question is for who, right? Like, Francisco Alvarez is 77% rostered. Sure, I'd do that if he's still available, yeah. but he might not be. Uh, and then you get into MJ Melendez, who's been a letdown. Grandal, 56% rostered. Eh. Caber Ruiz and Gabriel Moreno, both 45%. Eh. I don't know. So if you well, have. Yes, Diaz may be out there in some shallower leagues. He, I, I saw he's. I think he's up to like 82% rostered. So he, he might not even be yeah. out there anymore. It's. Basically, these guys both stink, but I don't know who you're going to drop them for. <laughs> well, I think it's more justifiable for Kirk than Stevenson, which, you know, I like Kirk a lot more coming into the year. I've, I've been a pretty big Kirk fan ever since he got called up before then, really. But, you know, <laughs> first percentile average exit velocity this year, and his max exit velocity is down like four miles per hour, too. So you can't even point to that is see he still has that power it's still in there and I do wonder if if Kirk's situation is a a bit uh, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that like the Blue Jays haven't been nearly as committed to playing him this year as they were last year they have more DH options Brandon Belt specifically so that's had Kirk out of the lineup a lot more and is that inconsistent playing time contributing to his uh, spiral at the plate? Like, does he just need more consistent looks to to snap out of this? I, I think ultimately, if the Blue Jays believed in the 
Kirk's bat, if they saw him as a building block, they'd let him work through these issues in the lineup. The fact that they're not tells me they view him as more like a supporting piece. And um, that's not encouraging. I, I know Dandy Jansen's on the IL right now out with a groin injury, should be back soon. But even when he's been out, they've only been starting Kirk like two of every three games. It hasn't it hasn't improved his playing time dramatically. So because of that playing time issue for Kirk, I, I'd be more likely to drop him than Stevenson, who's still playing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't help Kirk that Brandon Belt has really turned it on over the past month or so. I I think he's batting over 300. Not lots of power, but you know he's he gives them another left-handed bat in the middle of that lineup, which the Blue Jays do need right now. And then I got one more for my deep league players here, Scott. Did you know that among qualified hitters, Luke Rayleigh is seventh in barrel rate and Ryan Oda is 18th? <laughs> uh, Luke Rayleigh, one for four with a double on Monday. He actually got robbed of a home run. Uh, he's batting 252, a 19% barrel rate. He's absolutely crushing the ball. Ryan Noda plays for the Oakland A's, if you didn't know. Uh, not you, Scott. Anyone else listening? Two for three with two walks, a run, and an RBI on Monday. He's batting 242 with a 19% walk rate, also 34% strikeout rate. So uh, three true outcomes abundantly clear here for Ryan Noda. Any interest, Scott, in, you know, we're talking deep leagues, 15 teamers with a corner infield, Luke Rayleigh, Ryan Noda. Big power. I more so Rayleigh because Rayleigh has the speed element too. And I when you're talking about the sort of leagues that are deep enough to consider these guys, you're usually talking about roto leagues where of course you need steals, where you have five outs field five outfield spots to fill normally. And I think I'm to the point with Rayleigh. Let's see, the playing time's been even less consistent recently. Yeah. He started but, just two of their past five games. Yeah. And that and that's been the frustrating part all along. I mean, he's he's been producing, but you just never know when he's going to be in the lineup. So when do you want him in your lineup? I think he probably needs to be rostered in five outfielder roto leagues, even if he's not, you know, a, a fixture in your lineup necessarily. Noda, I think, is is much harder to use because it's going to be a low batting average. There isn't that speed element. And deeper points leagues, fine, but uh, there aren't as many of those. Yeah, it would have to be a pretty deep points league uh, to get Ryan Noda in there. But both him and Luke Rayleigh uh, hitting the ball with authority so far this season. Let's take our final break, Scott. When we return, we'll hit some news and notes. Do any of these uh, waiver wire hitters matter? We'll do that right after this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And 
sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back, and a big thank you to all those watching us live right now. 550 people here hanging out. We do appreciate you. Make sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Let's get into the, the news and notes. Jacob deGrom was transferred to the 60-day IL, which means the earliest he can return is now June 28th. I don't think that's uh, very surprising, but... Well, you don't? I, when he first got hurt, I wasn't expecting it to be a 60-day IL situation, so... Uh, I don't know. I forgot. Three weeks Three weeks till June 28th. We did a podcast before the season, Scott, and I, I think we set the over-under at like 100 or 120 innings. And yeah. I think, I think we all said under for, for Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, no, I get that. But, you know, then there's... there's I didn't necessarily expect it all him to lose it all in one IL stint. There's still a long way to go after he returns, and who's to say he's not going to get injured again? Yeah, that's fair. Max Freed was also transferred to the 60-day IL to free up a spot on the 40-man roster. Freed isn't expected to return until July anyway, so I think that one makes a little, a little bit more sense. We're also waiting on the results of Aaron Judge's testing on his toe. Uh, we'll know more on Tuesday when the Yankees are scheduled to play again, but... You know, I had a few people tweeting, asking me, have I seen anything? Yeah, there's there's nothing out there yet. We're all kind of waiting together anxiously, and uh, hopefully it doesn't wind up in an IL stint, but we shall see. Brandon Lau was placed on the IL with lower back inflammation. Vidal Brujan was recalled from AAA. Jose Altuve has missed three straight with oblique tightness and is not expected to play on Tuesday either. Dusty Baker did say Altuve is feeling much better and hopes to return on Wednesday. Jazz, I don't know why they wouldn't just hold him out till Friday at that point. Yeah, it seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't All know. Day Thursday. Yeah, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that's actually what happens here, Scott. Uh, Jazz Chisholm remains in a walking boot as he recovers from turf toe, but has a follow-up appointment with a foot specialist on Wednesday. Xander Bogarts has missed two straight with left wrist soreness, but hopes to return Tuesday against the Mariners. 
Jorge Soler was out of the lineup Monday due to a sore right thumb. X-rays came back clean, so hopefully he's fine. Jose Alvarado will make what is expected to be his final rehab appearance on Tuesday, and if that goes well, he'll be activated for this weekend series against the Dodgers. Scott, your uh, best guess as to who sees the majority of the Phillies' save chances moving forward. Well, it's not a guess I'm making with a lot of confidence because, I mean, Jose Alvarado was a knockout reliever before he got hurt and should have been the closer. Appeared to be trending that way for a while, but then they seemed to kind of pull back on it right before he got hurt, which is why my best guess as of today is Kimbrell. Same. And I'll point out that Kimbrell, in his last 10 appearances, has a 180 ERA, a .5 whip, 16 strikeouts in 10 innings. He's starting to look like good Kimbrell again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez will visit a finger specialist on Tuesday. The initial expectation is that he would be sidelined for six to eight weeks. I guess we'll uh, get an update after that meeting. Red Sox manager Alex Cora said that Trevor Story could be activated from the 60-day IL to serve as the DH before he's ready to play the field. He's now five months removed from undergoing an internal bracing procedure on that elbow. Uh, and he's 51% rostered. Scott, would you be looking to stash Trevor's story right now? Sure. If you have IL space. Uh, and well, they don't really give an estimate, do they? So if they, it's going to be sooner if they're willing to play him at DH. I don't know that they necessarily, like it's not Bryce Harper, you know? He was kind of a, he was not such an amazing offensive player the last couple years that they that they should be that anxious to get him back to fill the DH spot. I don't know. That's a little weird to me. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard to, to contextualize this exactly, but sure, if you have IL space, you should stash story. Mm-hmm. The Mets reinstated Omar Nervaez from the 60-day IL. Tomas Nito was designated for assignment. The hope is that Narvaez doesn't steal too much work from Francisco Alvarez, who has been awesome over yeah, the past couple of weeks. I don't think he will. I don't think he will. <laughs> I don't know, Scott. Buck Showalter, not very trustworthy so far this season, at least not for fantasy. Adam Duvall expects to be activated when first eligible on Friday. Uh, do you think Jaron Duran will get sent down when that happens? Will he get sent I mean, I think that's a possibility. He's cooled way down, obviously. They, they're not going to have a spot for him in the lineup anymore because certainly they're not removing Verdugo or Yoshida. And Justin Turner, of course, is occupying the DH spot. It's possible they could move Turner to first base and send Tristan Casas down instead, but I, that would kind of surprise me. Mm-hmm. It, they, they might like. I, I guess I lean against them sending down Duran. They could send down somebody else instead, but at bats might be harder for him to come by. Trevor Rogers threw five scoreless innings with five strikeouts in his latest rehab start Sunday okay. at AAA. He is 48% rostered if you want to look to stash him right now. And so I, 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 I want to clarify something because I just called him Duran. Jaron Duran. Duran. Is the Red Sox player. Ezekiel Duran is the Rangers player. Duran and Duran. It's hard to keep him straight. Duran Duran. Like, yeah. It's a great. Kinda like low and loud. Great, great band, Scott. Hmm. That's that's not what they're called, though. <laughs> it is not. Uh, I was just talking about Trevor Rogers. He's 48% rostered. And you mentioned earlier that you think Braxton Garrett 
would be the first one out there. Uh, I guess whenever Rodgers is healthy, which sounds like yeah. soon. But, I mean, who else would it be? They're not going to send Yuri Perez back down. I hope not. <laughs> Edward Cabrera has been much better of late. And I think it'd have to be Garrett. Yeah. I wonder if they would go six-man. Were they going six-man earlier this season? They might have. I don't remember. But Sometimes if they have a stretch with few off days, teams will go six-man for a while. Right. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, Trevor Rogers, stash him if you could. Mariners reliever Andres Munoz is expected to return Tuesday. He's been on the IL since April 9th with a right deltoid strain. Paul Seawald has been great this season, and I assume we'll hold on to the closer role. Is that how you feel as well? I mean, it's it's the Mariners, <laughs> so I don't think he's going to get 100% of the saves, but I think Munoz will have a tough road to reclaiming a spot in that Timeshare. Nixon Zell was scratched due to right knee irritation. Cutter Crawford is expect to, expected to start Wednesday against the Guardians. And in 33 and two-thirds innings this season, uh, Crawford has a 348 ERA, a .95 whip, 14% swinging strike rate. I'm kind of interested in deeper leagues here, Scott. I, I want to see what Cutter Crawford could do. Yeah, I've always kind of liked him. I'm curious too. Okay. And one prospect update. Orioles prospect Heston Kierstad, a former first-round pick, second overall pick, uh, was promoted to AAA after hitting 300 with 11 homers in AA this season. Scott, do any of these hitters matter? Let's start with this group of four. Nick Prado went two for five with his fourth home run. He has led off eight straight games for the Royals, is batting 298 with an 856 OPS. He's walking a ton. He's also striking out a ton. Um, mm-hmm. And he's actually held his own against lefty. He's batting 314 uh, so far this season. Joey Weimer went two for three with two doubles. And over his last nine games, is batting 321 with one homer and four steals. Jake Myers went four for five with his sixth home run. He had four hard hit balls in that game. Has three homers over his last seven games. And Kevin Kiermeyer went two for three with a walk, a double, two runs scored, and is batting 302. With four homers, five steals, and an 840 OPS this season. Do any of these names matter, Scott? Kiermeyer, Jake Myers, Joey Weimer, and Nick Prado. For the average listener, probably not. I have I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Joey Weimer. He hasn't struck out nearly as much as I thought he would as a rookie, uh, nearly as much as he did during most of his minor league career. And I've tried to hold on to him in most five outfielder leagues just in case he has a light switch moment mid-season. Haven't always succeeded in holding on to him, but I've tried to. So he's the one I'm most interested in. But, you know, a nine-game stre- stretch where he's hit 321 isn't... It doesn't necessarily mean it is the start of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want to comment on Nick Prado also because I keep waiting for him to cool off. He's striking out so much. And the exit velocity readings are really bad. 20th percentile average exit velocity, 26th percentile max exit velocity. He's had a very up and down minor league career. And uh, I just don't see enough good in the data for me to think he's uh, he's somebody to care about in fantasy, but hasn't cooled off yet. Mm-hmm. In those deeper two-catcher leagues, got three names have emerged recently. Nick Fortes of the Marlins went two for four with an RBI, and over his last 14 games, he's batting 341 with two homers and two steals. He 
was a, a standout in the second half last season as well. Was pretty good there for the Marlins. Yaner Diaz with the Astros went four for five with a run scored. He is up to a 284 batting average uh, and a 786 OPS. He's not starting that much, but um, big numbers in the minors. I wonder if you know his his role will grow as the season goes on. Yeah. And uh, Gary Sanchez went one for three with his third homer in six starts with the Padres. Got. Uh, deeper two catcher leagues here. Any interest? Nick Fortes, Yainer Diaz, and Gary Sanchez. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Yainer Diaz at least because I, I think if he can overtake Martin Maldonado as the primary option there, no indication that he will. But if he can, then I think he could be very productive. I think if you had to add one of these three right now to start, I think I'd pick Gary Sanchez. Padres need him behind the plate. He's already homer twice with them. And, uh, you know, he, he, he might struggle to hit 200, but he's got pop. Mm-hmm. I think I would take Nick Fortes. I like that power speed. He stole some bags last year, too, and it seems like he's getting more of the playing time recently for the Marlins as well. Uh, I think all three are you know kind of interesting in, in leagues that deep, but it would be Fortes for me. Some hitting leftovers, Brian De La Cruz went one for three with a walk and his eighth homer. And since the calendar turned to May, 32 games, 336 batting average, six homers, 20 runs, 18 RBI, two steals. Brian De La Cruz has been awesome. Uh, he's the most added outfielder on CBS this weekend, 77% rostered. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if that number continues to grow. I think even in three outfielder leagues, uh, if you need some help, yep. Brian De La Cruz is the guy. Luis, I added him. In the podcast league, a three outfielder points league to start him over Aaron Judge this week. How dare you? Nah, totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, it, Brian De La Cruz has been awesome, as has Luis Arise. He went three for four with a double and two RBI. He is now batting 399 on June 6th. That is pretty awesome uh, with a 945 OPS. I actually made a bet before the season, Scott, uh, for Luis Arise to lead all of baseball in hits. So. Come on, baby. Let's go. Keep it going. Uh, Yordan Alvarez went two for four with his 16th home run. 110 miles per hour off the bat. 452 feet. Yordan Alvarez, he's pretty good. Uh, Kyle Tucker went three for five with his eighth home run. He had four hard hit balls in that game. And Manny Machado, some signs of life, went three for four with a double and three runs scored. Uh, so you were saying in, in your mock with Welsh and Bogman, you went Freddie Freeman four. I had Freddie Freeman fifth in mine with Jordan Alvarez four. Did, did Alvarez go fifth in yours or was he lower? I think so. We were alternating every three picks. I think I got Alvarez with my next pick. So that would have been uh, seven. Okay. Yeah. But all right. I think you can, you know, you're kind of splitting hairs in that top eight to 10 range anyway. So. Uh, yeah, I think the difference between like four and seven for Alvarez is is not huge, but either way, he, he deserves to be in like the middle of that first round because uh, he's been really good. Some pitching leftovers here. Shane McClanahan. Uh, here we go. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. That's exactly what he's been. Money this year. Picked up his ninth win at the Red Sox. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts with 13 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. Martin Perez turned in one of his best starts of the season up against the Cardinals. Seven innings, one earned run with five strikeouts to one walk. And I don't know if it's happening, Scott, but this might be the start of it happening. Blake Snell 
Back-to-back quality starts, his fourth quality start of the season. He was up against the Cubs in this one. He went six shutout with eight strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 109 pitches, 10 of those coming on the changeup, and his fastball velocity was up one mile per hour to exactly what he averaged last year. So uh, some Mm -hmm. really good signs in this one. I will point out, uh, I was watching this start pretty closely, the home plate umpire, Phil Cuzzy, had a massive strike zone. Uh, Cubs manager David Ross actually got tossed because he was arguing balls and strikes. But uh, Blake Snell earned multiple third called strikes um, with the mm-hmm. advantage, I guess, of Phil Cuzzy behind the plate. So just something that I well, noticed here. Uh, what do you think, Scott? The latest on Snell, McClanahan, and uh, Martin Perez. Yeah, I'm, so if he does turn take an ace turn, at some point this season, as has happened the last two seasons, we don't know exactly when it's going to be. It was the second half the last two years, but it's not like that's hardwired into Blake Snell or anything. Um, so it could be happening earlier. I, what's weird about what he's done his last two starts is, is this start, he got 10 of the 17 whiffs on that changeup. And the changeup is the pitch he faded the last two years when he took off. He, he went very heavy fastball slider. Like the changeup was a problem for him and he got rid of it. And that was his best pitch in this start. It was weird. In the previous start, he leaned heavily on the fastball. He didn't throw many sliders at all either of those two starts. He was, he's been f- fading the slider, which is supposed to be his best pitch, and allowed him to take off last year. He's been fading the slider in these last two starts. So I don't know. That just adds to the confusion. No, it it absolutely does. I think that's kind of where we're at with Blake Snell and why we got here is because his slider hasn't been good and it's supposed to be his best pitch and he still didn't trust it in this start. He only threw 10 of them. It's, you know, normally he throws it like 20, 25% of the time when everything's working for Snell and uh, yeah, he he still does not trust that slider. So it it is pretty confusing uh, for him. The call to the bullpen, some updates for Tampa Bay. Jason Adams struck out two for his ninth save, and he is 53% rostered. We're not sure how long Pete Fairbanks is going to be out, but as long as he is, Jason Adams is that guy. Uh, For the Marlins, Dylan Floro got the final two outs for his seventh save. For the Reds, Alexis Diaz struck out the side for his 14th. He's been awesome this year, too. Shout out to Alexis Diaz. Uh, for the Pirates, Bednar was unavailable. Colin Holderman picked up his first save of the season. And for the Cardinals, Henesis Cabrera uh, got the ninth inning with the game tied. He gave up a run on a walk and two hits, took his first loss of the season. To stream or not to stream, let's start with Tuesday here, Scotty. And uh, what did we see yesterday? Louis Varland at Tampa Bay. Tough matchup, but he's pitching well. Uh Mm-hmm. I think I said Zach Granke at the Marlins, I think is fine. And I think you like Tommy Henry at the Nationals. Yep. Okay. Let's stick with it. Yeah. And uh, I'll remind people, I like Matthew Libertor, the pitcher, but at Texas, no thanks. I'm, I'm not going to mess around with that. Uh, on Wednesday, Edward Cabrera up against the Royals. I think we're both yep. in there. That's a must. Uh, a must, I'm saying. A must, must start, Edward Cabrera. Uh, Dean, I think Dean Kramer at the Brewers. I think he's he's earned it. He's pitched well over the past like month uh, or yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, not a must, but he might be the second best choice here. There's not yep. much else. I'm, yeah, I'm in, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with any of these others. I'm intrigued by Reese Olsen, but I don't want to start him. Uh, Jaime Berea has been okay. Maybe. He might be my third favorite on this list, but 
yeah, it's it's mostly Edward Cabrera and Dean Kramer for me. Team name Tuesday, Scotty. Let's wrap up with this. These are from Zachary. Three Mets and a little Beatty. It's a stretch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think little is in the title of the movie either. I think it's just three men and a baby. Uh, Unless he's referring to something else. Might be. Uh, the, the next one, the Kokomos. And I guess this is because he has Sandy Alcantara, Soroka, Luis Castillo, just need to trade for Connor Joe. They're all mentioned in the song? I think so. Okay. It's a different different take on Team Name Tuesday, but I like it. Sure. Uh, baby Kangaroos for Joey Bart, Joey Manessis, Joey Weimer, and Joey Lucchese. Ugh. Ah, <laughs> that must be a deep league. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's, that's also that's a something. different take on Team Name Tuesday. Yeah, and last one here, Nolan Trinity. Arenado, Gorman, and Nolan Jones. Okay. Yeah, um, he, he did... He did he had a whole different take on the whole thing. So yep. that's good for him. This one's from Chase. Young like a baby. And young spelled like J-U-N-G. Correct. From, I really like this one. From Josh, double low seven. Has both oh, Josh yeah. Lowe and Nate Lowe. Not Brandon Lau. Okay. The brothers. <laughs> brothers Lowe. Yeah, I like it. Uh, from Nick, a burnsing sensation. Okay. Uh, Honey Nut Burritos. It's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite team names of all time. One of my favorite entries to Team Name Tuesday of all time. Oops, all Burritos. <laughs> I love that one. And the This la- one's serial themed too, so. Yeah. He's, his name's versatile in that way. And the last one, A Song of Bryce and Fire. Okay. From Ryan... Yuri Wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a good Hagrid voice, Scott? I, I don't think that I do. You're a wizard, Harry. I don't know. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Finding Nemo. Classic. Okay. And Classic. Go Schrider. But it's actually oh. like Ghost Rider. Yeah, that works. Not bad. From Neil to Stott to Handle. <laughs> it's like Brad Hand, I guess. <laughs> yeah, there's a hyphen between the hand and the LE. Like he's got Brad Hand on this team. Yeah. Yikes. Uh Sunny that I used to low. Hmm. Okay, you had to read it for me to get. It. I had to hear it, you know. That's a song, right? Somebody that I used to know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um McIndustry Bybee. <laughs> Is that just putting the word industry into McIndustry? McIndustry Bybee? Industry baby? I don't get that one. Yeah, I don't I don't get it either. Uh Sandy Beaks. Okay. Like Jalen Beaks. And um Kowser <laughs> Steer relievers. Kowser Steer Turnbull Mookie. Uh, okay. Do you know what it's, it's supposed to be for? I, I don't know. No. Not really. <laughs> All right. From Kate. I, I see four names listed, and I think of Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, but I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think that's what he was going for here. I, I don't know. Uh, we need man. We need Chris. By the way, Chris is Chris Towers is still part of this podcast, but he's he's very busy I, I, right now. So I thought a good team name would be Mason Miller, Soldier Spy. Myself, okay. I thought that worked. But uh, this last these last couple from KJ Taj Morell. Okay. From Dimitri, cease to be good. 
<laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> it, uh, it's it it makes sense. Nothing else. And from Matthew, all bets are Kirilov. Sure. Cool story, Brasso. <laughs> kind of like that. I like it too. Uh, Fleming fought Cheetos. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And finally for Scott, Freeman and a little Beatty. So he put little in there too. Do I have that wrong? Freeman and a little Beatty? I, it's just I, three men and a baby, right? I guess it must be. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, three is, men and is this a the same, baby. The same guy send these as the other ones? Oh, no. There, it looks like there's another movie called Three Men and a Little Lady. Uh, a 1990 uh, flick. That's what I got on IMDb here, Scott. So there you go. That's, that's not nearly as well known, is it? Freeman and a Little Baby. A Little Lady. Who's in this? <laughs> Eve Gutenberg. Oh, it's the same people. It must be a sequel. It came out three years later. That would make sense. All right. I, I wasn't aware of the sequel. All right. Well, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. CBS Monday. Federal agents! Here's where we can see them. NCIS Hawaii is back. About to set it new criminals to catch. Armed robbery, aggravated assault, murder. And new investigations to be solved. These guys were good, but even masters make mistakes. Vanessa Lachey and featuring LL Cool J. Violent Island, we got here. Welcome to paradise. A new NCIS Hawaii Monday, 10-9 Central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.